can I share you a story? I heard about an older gentleman. He and an Arkansas State Trooper got to meet. It goes something like this. The man was cleaning the carbon out of, build up out of his high performance race car. At least he felt it was kind of like a race car. Ooh, those state troopers. Yikes. Um, he was rolling down the road pretty fast. It hit triple digits. Not that I would know any of this stuff. Um, and he missed the state trooper off kind of on the side of the road, back tucked into the trees. State trooper didn't miss him, though. He saw him go by. Whoosh, red car. I can catch that, he thought. Hemi motor kicked in. He took off. Gone. Took a while, a few miles. Finally pulled the old man over. Walked up to the window. The window was down. He'd done this before. The license was in his hand. State trooper walked up and looked at him and said, it's Friday. My shift ends in 30 minutes. If you can tell me something I have never heard before, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go. Old man thought a minute, turned back up and he said, sir, years ago, my wife ran off with an Arkansas state trooper. <laughs> and I thought you were bringing her back. <laughs> with that, the Arkansas trooper tipped his hat and said, have a good day, sir. Can I share another story? I like stories. It's been a while since we've been here. Speaking of wives, you may have noticed I don't have one. Thank you. Long pauses are important, and this is going to fit perfectly into the story. Which brings us to another story. And this story happened the last time I was here teaching. I wore a kind of a bright teal shirt, had a tortoise on it and the word right underneath it man I wish I could have done that um, had the word Fiji right here I got to wear that t-shirt because Sherry was gone I get to wear a t-shirt today because she's gone it's great I'm mean, not that she's gone I, I like just wearing t-shirts um, so the story shifts to right over there if you remember when I taught, the Fisher family had a big clan here, a gaggle of people, all sorts of them. They had some kind of shindig going on. I don't know what it was. Wait a second. What's that? I kind of heard from New Mexico. The words Papa Doug. <laughs> yeah, oh, Grandpa. It's coming. <laughs> Isn't that hysterical? Grandpa Doug. Um, Okay, so one of the guests of the family is from Colorado. He'd shown up. We're just hanging out here. I'd had that long, dramatic pause. I said, my wife's gone. She's left me. He must have been playing with his phone because he didn't wait to hear what happened after the pause. He went back to Colorado. The next weekend, he walked up and he saw somebody that I know. He saw Russell Todd Weaver, my brother-in-law. 
he said, are you, are you the brother to Sherry Weaver Decker? And he said, yes, I am. When did Sherry get up the courage? <laughs> and Russ said, the courage? Yeah, to leave. For a mission trip? No, to leave Mark. Russ called that night. <laughs> it took about 10 minutes to get the story out because of the tears and the choking and all the crying and the laughter. We howled. But you got to watch what you say up here. Especially if the fishers are in the house. Because <laughs> they bring friends along. You got to kind of watch out. So if you want to know where ground zero is, The street cred name, Peepaw Fish Diddy, sitting right over here. <laughs> and all his clan show up, and who knows what they may come up with. So you just got to watch out. So I'll try and keep this lighthearted. Um, I don't know if you saw the topics on, it's on divorce today. Um, and I want to thank Megan, because people came last week thinking that's what we were going to talk about. And she reminded them, don't worry, divorce is coming. Um, so here we are in the midst of it. What a story, though. We're going to continue through our journey on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look back at Jesus' third teaching. It's two verses. These two verses reverberate through the church today. Two millennia later. It's crazy, but Jesus' talk challenged all in attendance then. All who have read it or heard his message since. Its interpretation of just a couple sentences have been discussed, they've been argued, they've been held up, they've been held over, and they have been held against people, depending on those interpretations. But before we venture there, let's look at a collection of writings, the writings where this is taken from. It's taken from the Bible. It starts out if you've read it, this Bible, it starts out with a couple and a wedding and marriage. And if you read all the way to the end, you get to Revelation, the last few chapters, you're going to read about a marriage of a bride to his groom, or a groom to his bride, and this amazing wedding feast. And through the pages between the front and the back, from the start of it, to the maps in the back. You're going to read these amazing chapters, page after page, of this love story. It's an amazing love story. The character pursues his bride. He chases her. And it's all about his love to her. But the best of stories seem to always have a villain. And ours is no exception. And he is bound and determined to keep the bride and the groom apart. Break them up or turn them against one another. And we fall prey to his ploys and snares. 1 Peter 5 tells us this. We are reminded that he is a roaring lion, seeking to devour us all. And you know, if it were me, I wouldn't know any better place than what the devil has chosen to attack than family. And at the heart of family, marriage. 
What's crazy, and the reason it works, and the reason it's such a source of contention for the devil, is it's God's creation. It's not ours. It's God's way of showing us, the world, of his amazing love. Through trusting, life-changing, self-sacrificing relationship of marriage. When lived out, and we lived out not in our power, in our own stubbornness, in our own determination to fulfill a legal contract, which comes complete with a license, but rather a dying to self. As Christ willingly gave himself up for us, his bride, we are to come together and become one, submitting our will to his, that in doing so, he can change our lives through his spirit-filled covenant, displaying a love for one another worthy of the greatest of love stories. So the devil, he attacks, and he does it well. And if you've lived it all, you'll see the carnage, for it's everywhere. We see it on the despair of faces abandoned by love. We see it on the faces of children, confused. We see it on confounded family members, most of whom are hopeless, pushed to the wayside, trampled by exes, overlooked by a church, you see, divorce continues to wreak havoc. And what's crazy, it was the same in Christ's day. We're going to read the two verses now. We're going to read them, and then we'll read them once again in the message. Eugene Peterson puts it in a very, very interesting way, and I think it'll be important. But let's read verses 31 and 32. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her, her commit adultery. And whomever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Two verses. And we still wrestle with it. it, it Megan and I were talking earlier. We have so many things that Christ says throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives us, this is how it's said and this is what you're to do. This one he doesn't do that with. He sends us back to the original. He doesn't kind of fix things and tell us, okay, now do it like this. He sends us back. And he's challenging the leadership of the church. Then, and I think he challenges us now. Eugene Peterson's rendering from the message puts it like this. Should be the next two. Or maybe, it may be three or four, because he writes it a little bit longer. Remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife... Let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. So questioned by Christ. Too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you are legal. Please, no more pretending. If you divorce your wife, you're responsible for making her an adulteress unless she has already made herself that by sexual promiscuity. And if you marry such a divorced adulteress, you're automatically an adulterer yourself. You can't use legal cover to mask a moral failure. I think Eugene said it pretty well here. I think he's gotten the essence of what Christ is saying. You see, in this time and during this age, it was almost like property. Women had no legal right to divorce. Only a man did. 
you know, the more I read, the more I studied, the more I realized, um, wow, this is a mess. So I had to go back. A couple weeks ago, Glenn spoke, and he spoke on adultery. Let's bring those verses up, Caitlin. We've got a couple more verses to look at here. But here's what I tell you. Verse 28, I guess it's just one verse. Do not even look at a woman in the wrong way. Anyone who does has already committed adultery. So the leaders are trying to figure out, okay, what constitutes this and how do I get away with it? They're not looking to say, oh boy, this is so terrible. They're trying to find loopholes. They're trying to maneuver around all this. And Jesus has just got through telling them, he's just basically said, you're all guilty. I don't know that anybody here could raise their hand and say, well, I've never looked at anybody like that. Okay, so, okay, I got one. All right. But you're like little. Yeah. It's coming, though. You grow old enough. Yeah. Uh Yeah. Keep burping and doing cool kid stuff. Um, No, we're all guilty. Yeah, you don't want to grow old. Stay like that. Um, And because we're all guilty, and Jesus moves right into this passage, he said, the way I created it, is the way I wanted it. And now you're trying to figure out how to get around it. There's two schools of thought here during this time. And that's why they pressed in and leadership asked questions. There's a conservative think tank and they say, well, only if adultery is committed. That's it. We're going to go with what Moses says. Jesus is saying, okay, let's not look at what Moses says, but let's go further. Because their idea was kind of messed up. It's not like we think it is today. Do you know that adultery was only with a married woman? If she was single, it wasn't adultery? Oh. We get a glimpse of this. We read it in history, but we get a little bit of a glimpse in this. Let's look at, let's see. This is the problem. I typed this out. Usually I got all these neat little you know, pieces of paper and I throw it all around. Um, Let's look at the next, I think it's gonna be our next scripture. John 7, 4. John gives us a great glimpse into this concept. They said to him, teacher, this woman, who? How many does it take to commit adultery? What did you think? But Bible's letting us know that, no, no, no. This is how they thought. This is the prevailing wind. This is the way they were teaching it. This woman was caught. The guy wasn't. She was caught in adultery. It's her fault. She did this. Jesus goes on to forgive. Ask where accusers are and sends her away. But the whole idea was the woman, sorry, no rights. Do you know there was a prayer that you would have prayed if you'd walked in here and this was a synagogue back in the time? Thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile. Thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner. Thank you, God, that I'm not a woman. And Jesus challenges all of it. 
I said, this is not my way. You think you can get away with it. But I'm calling you to a much deeper, deeper relationship and righteousness. This world shows us that the woman paid. And she paid dearly. And today I'm not so sure it wouldn't be written a little differently. Not that women aren't treated poorly, but I think there would be more in it today about the children. It's just my feeling. That we would talk about what about the kids. And why would the devil be so content and intent on doing this? I think he wants us to learn. He wants us to learn that men being made in God's image are not trustworthy. Thus, God is not. His attack is devised to bring into question God's ultimate ability to love us, his ultimate ability to redeem us, to restore us. And if nothing else, put an end to us believing that it could ever be strong enough to forgive us, especially those failures. So some out of fear, the fear of man, the fear of church, or even the fear of God himself remain in dysfunctional relationships. We're freed from the emotional, sometimes physical, and very often spiritual abuse. It could be that all parties would find hope and forgiveness. May we remember that God is first focused on our own personal saving relationship with him. The groom in the story, he's about our personal love story to him. And secondarily, he's concerned about all other relationships. I think too often we just trample on people. So how is it that we are so quick to forgive, so quick to move forward with a repentant sinner who has possibly been a thief, an alcoholic, a person convicted of a crime, one who has done his time, of course. We might even forgive a murderer. But this one, this one, the one that we judge with the scarlet letter, which churches did up until just a few hundred years ago. Why is this one so hard to forgive? Once again, I think, for myself anyway, it comes down to Satan's unrelenting work to smear God's name. By discrediting his creation, it's God's creation, the creation of marriage. By discrediting that, he discredits, discredits God himself. Why do some seem to have God answer their prayers and their marriage is redeemed? That's the very short version of Sherry and I, our story. I don't know why. We were stubborn. I talked about that earlier. We had a license. But we really didn't have a relationship. We've kind of been through hell and back. 
But we've been restored and redeemed and today are so in love. It's like, wow, this is amazing. But there's others who've prayed the same prayers that we prayed. They pled with God. They've promised. They've promised total devotion for even just a little bit better marriage. They've prayed that hoping some would be restored. But why does God not hear from heaven? Could it be ultimately? Ultimately. That our individual choice is at stake. Our ability to say yes or to say no to a proposal, one from God. It's eternal. It's relationship with God and with us. That he values that above all other choices we might make. And that if he were to force us, if he were to somehow twist things to just make it work a little bit better, he would go against his very will. He would change us. Where we were no longer free to choose. But do it out of somehow a God-manipulated world. And he says, no, I can't do that. You know, it hurts so bad to watch lives shattered. And I started reading, and I read where Christ himself has gone through our pain and our suffering. Amen. He understands it. Sherry and I share our story, and it's fascinating. When it clicked for her and for myself is when she looked to heaven and she said, I'll be okay without Mark. Because she knew this relationship was strong and stronger than ever. And she understood it and relied on it and, and held on to it. And she shared that with me. And it scared me bad. Because I've been able to manipulate the relationship and help move it and keep it the way I wanted it. And do the things I wanted to do. And now she doesn't need me. What am I going to do? And it didn't take long before I realized I needed what she had. And day by day, little by little, I changed. She didn't. She had been changing, but not because I was doing anything, but because God was. And yet, as we talked and shared and discussed all this, I did so with valuable, valuable friends and family, and we sat down and we discussed it, and I said, the hurt that I feel is that it doesn't all work like that. But it's why Christ went to a cross. Because if it could work a different way, he said, please take the cup from me. And I guess what I have to do is I have to rest in the idea that God knows the end from the beginning. And my relationship and your relationship is far more important than this relationship. Oh, it's not that he doesn't want it. 
And when I am changed and different, it's so much easier to love. Because I don't need it my way. I can have it God's way. So my hope and my prayer is, is that we might stand with the disposable. Because that's often what we see within even the walls of a church is disposable people. Now that it's broken, especially this one, we can dispose. May we stand with them that they will see a day when we stop throwing them away. May we stand with those whose burdens are more than they can bear and stand with the poor and stand with the powerless and stand with the voiceless so that their voices may be heard. And that while we stand and speak for them and hold them up, that one day there will be a prayer that is our song. And it's the song of the redeemed. And people say, it's been good to be with the Lord. That's my prayer. Can I read one little thing in closing? As I was going through all this, um, lots to research, lots to read, amazing stuff. I came across an idea of how I might love Sherry. So guys, I'm challenging you. How to love your wives. Woman came out of man's rib, not from his feet. We are not to walk on her. Not from his head. We're not to be superior. But from his side, that we might be equal. But under his arm, that we might be the strength and the love that hold them up. Live that way, guys. Dear Lord, we know that even if you don't, that you are able. So strengthen us where we are weak. <clears throat> Hold on to us where we feel vulnerable and adrift. For those that are challenged, Lord, to try and figure a better way, we pray that they spend a few moments with you each and every day. For those that are looking for new starts, we pray that we would hold them up, bring them before you and pray and pray and pray over them. We pray for those that wonder if today will ever end and if they can ever get through and see a bright sun, sunny day again because of the storm clouds in their lives. May they know that You've got a rainbow just a little ways away and it will shine bright upon them because you love us ultimately. You are the keeper of our heart and our soul. So we give that to you now. May you bless us. May this place be a beacon where people come in and understand that we are broken but as broken people, we point to a risen and complete God 
who is more than capable, more than willing. But even if you don't, it is well with our souls. We thank you in these things. Amen.